This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Good morning. Great to see you. It's awesome to be in this venue. This is where I started preaching, and and still to this day, it's my favorite place. I love it. So uh, two songs ago, we sang, uh, This is Amazing Grace, and there were some lyrics in that song that said, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy. And just listening to it, uh, in the moment, it almost brought me to tears. So I just think of uh, how worthy God is of everything that I have. How everything that I have, uh, that he has given to me, it's all a gift. And it's, it's made to be given back to him and given to the world. And uh, he's so worthy. He's worthy of our, our money. He's worthy of our relational capacity. Uh, he's worthy of our gifts and our talents. All three things that we've talked about in this series thus far. And he's worthy of our time. Now, if we think of the last three weeks that we've had, we've talked about talent, uh, trust, and treasure, right? And let's think of those things in terms of resources today, okay? The first, gifts and talents. Uh, We talked about the importance of using our gifts, our talents, our skills, and our abilities uh, for the purpose of the kingdom of God. And then regarding trust, we talked about the importance of of building deep relationships that are centered on Christ. Uh, But as a resource, that would be like our relational or our emotional capacity, right? And then last week, we talked about treasure. Treasure being our money and our possessions and how we use those, again, for the kingdom of God as a resource that we have at our disposal. Now, those three resources are huge rocks in our life, if you will. Um, those three resources have a ton of power. Three of the biggest resources that we have, and that if put together, and if put to proper use, can literally determine the outcome of, of your life and those around you. They have the power uh, to have great influence on the world around you in your life, and to determine actually whether or not you lived a good life, the end of your life, the use of those resources will be how uh, you're evaluated. And yet, those three resources combined do not even measure up to the importance of the use of your time. Your time is the most valuable resource that you are given. The most valuable resource that you are given. Because without time, none of those other resources matter. You don't have time to use them. They don't matter at all. Time is the most important resource that we have. And so today, that's what we're going to talk about, is time. And uh, And to get started, we're going to start with a a short passage of Scripture in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I want to uh, preface all of this today by saying, uh, first and foremost, before we get into it, that I am uh, preaching and speaking to you today humbly, because uh, I'm the first to admit that one of my biggest sins in life is improper use of my time, is poor use of my time. Uh, Every time that I sin, I'm not using my time diligently, okay? But that being said, let's let's get into this text. Um, I want to start with kind of the center of this. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time. Why? That's where we're going to start. Why? Because the days are evil. 
because the days are evil. What does that mean, that the days are evil? The times that we live in are evil. The age that we live in is evil. This means three things. One, uh, the world's default setting is evil. It's destructive. It's no good. You see, that means that your time, if, if left in the hands, if, if not given to God, is actually left in the hands of Satan. It means that there is no in-between. You see, Jesus says in Luke 11 uh, that if you're not with me, you're against me. If you're not with me, then you're against me. The default setting of the world is bad. It's no good. So our time left unattended to is not a neutral position. It's actually bad, okay? Now, one of the biggest mistakes that we make as Christians is thinking that the way we spend our time can be neutral. We say to ourselves, yeah, well, um, you know, I may not be living for God, but I'm also not really living against him. And like Jesus says, that's just not possible. There is no in-between. We think that we can, we can live a, a, a life just kind of ignoring the call of God, uh, the call to live a higher life, like the song that we just sang, You Have Called Me Higher. But when we fall short of that to any degree whatsoever, we're putting our time in the hands of the devil. We're putting our time in the hands of Satan. That's how the world works. That's what it means when Paul says that the days we live in are evil. Secondly, it means that the times that we live in are deceiving. See, the world uh, that we live in tells us that certain things are inherently good and valuable. Now, this is important. I want you to get this. Um, it tells us that things are inherently good and valuable, like, uh, like working, working hard and, and making money, uh, like spending time with your family, like traveling uh, and seeing the world, like having fun, and, and excitement in your life, doing fun things. Uh, even things like religious activity, like serving the poor and reading scripture and praying. All, all the, it tells you that these things are inherently good and valuable. And that's a really, really, really good lie. See, in and of themselves, those things are not good and valuable. But it's really easy to believe. It's really easy to fall into that trap. But see, if we believe this lie, then what's going to happen is we're going to give our time to these things. Whatever it may be in your life, we're going to give our time to these things without a second thought, without ever thinking about it. And then we'll get to a point in our lives, probably when we're closer to the end than not, and we're going to look back and we're going to say, crap, what was this all for? Why have I been doing this? It hasn't given me inherent value. And why Why not? Because, you see, the only thing that makes something good and valuable and purposeful and meaningful is if it is used for God's purposes. Period. That's it. You see, this is why we're created. We were created uh, for the glory of God. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is why we were created, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, all right? And so if anything that we do is not to bring glory to God and to enjoy him in him, it will not bring meaning to our lives. It has no meaning. 
And so I'm always kind of just blown away. Uh, I talk to a lot of, a lot of friends um, that I still have and just people or whatever about meaning. And, and uh, a lot of people who are atheists, they believe that there is no God and whatever. Uh, they say that, uh, you know, well, my life just means whatever I want it to. I can go do this and I can go do that. And it, it inherently has meaning. They, they ascribe meaning to the things that they do. Um, and they say, well, well, it means something to me, so it's meaningful. Yeah, but it doesn't mean anything to anyone else in the whole world. Therefore, it is not meaningful. We cannot have meaning. We cannot have purpose other than that for which we were created. It's not possible. If you want to find fulfillment in life, everything that you do, every single little tiny thing has to be for the glory of God. That's just, that's just the fact. And now thirdly, what does it mean that the days are evil? It means that the days are futile or futile. I don't know. I never know how to pronounce that word. Futile. It means that they're meaningless, that they're empty, that they're useless. In Genesis uh, chapter, chapter 4, I think it is, when God, uh, right after the fall of Adam and Eve and that, that whole deal, uh, God basically says that the work of your hands will now be futile. I'm no longer going to be in your life. Your work will be basically good for nothing. You're going to work by the sweat of your brow. You're going to work your tail off until a day's end, and it's not going to mean anything, all right? And in the book of Ecclesiastes, we get the, who's read the book of Ecclesiastes in here? So, uh, this spoke to me when I was 16, 17, uh, and I was so glad that I read it then. Uh, King Solomon is said to have written this book, okay? King Solomon, for centuries, was known to be the wisest man that ever lived. And the First, uh, second sentence of this book starts out, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Or in the NLT, it says, everything is meaningless. Nothing means anything. Everything is meaningless. Nothing means anything. The wisest man in the world. He was the king of Israel. He had everything, all right? He says, listen to these, these words. He says, I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under heaven. I soon discovered that God has, t- has dealt a tragic existence to the human race. I observed everything going on under the sun, and really, it is all meaningless, like chasing the wind. So he went out on this, on this quest to figure it all out. What is life about? And at first he sought uh, pleasure. From castles to concubines to good food and great wine, uh, money, wealth, possessions, fields, cattle, lives, you name it. He had everything. Richest king in the world, every pleasure. He denied himself nothing. He even found great pleasure in hard work. But it was all to no avail. Again, he said it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. After he realized that pleasure was no good, he sought wisdom. He figured uh, it's better to be wise than foolish, and by building up wisdom and learning and having knowledge, uh, that will be worth something. And then he realized something, that the wiser he got, the sadder he got. He says, the the more I grow in wisdom, the more I I grow in grief. I just grieve more because I realize how messed up this world is. And he he recognized something else. He said, uh, whether you're wise or whether you're foolish, doesn't matter. You're both going to die. We both die. All right. We both uh, come from the dust. We all go back to the dust. Doesn't matter whether you're wise or foolish. We, We all share the same fate and we're all soon forgotten. And so again, he said, it's all meaningless. What's the deal here? 
He observes the world and the futility of all the things he observes, uh, the suffering and the pain and the oppression in the world. And he said, what's this? For how do we, how do we live? He observes that the, the main motivation in people's life to succeed is in order to compare themselves to others and say, I've done well. And he says, what's the point of all of this? It doesn't make us happy. It's all meaningless. And again, he's like, it, it, it's meaningless and depressing. You just get this book. The first half is depressing. So his conclusion, after, after saying everything is meaningless again and again and again, his conclusion is that there is nothing better for mankind than to be happy, to enjoy themselves, and to find satisfaction in work as long as they can. To be happy, to enjoy themselves, and to find satisfaction in their work as long as they can. That's his conclusion. But there's one really important uh, like sentence or paragraph right there in the middle of Ecclesiastes that's kind of hard to understand, but, but what he says is that most importantly, he recognizes that these pleasures, which are most important, are a gift from God which cannot be enjoyed apart from him. You see, Solomon realized that life can only gain meaning with God. That life is made to be pleasurable. That we are made to enjoy everything, to receive life as a gift, to find satisfaction in our work. But that that is absolutely impossible apart from God. Absolutely impossible. You see, and it's not until we realize this, it's not until um, we realize the futility, the meaninglessness of, of our own lives apart from God that we can begin to see through that facade, that we can begin to see that, that money and possessions and our relationships and our image and our status and our past and our present and future and just what, none of it matters unless our lives are lived with God. None of it matters. We have a very short time on this earth. And we need to be set free from that facade. And so for these reasons, we must be all the more intentional, all the more diligent, all the more urgent with our time to make the best use of it. Otherwise, time will not be favorable to you. It will not be favorable to you. And so where do we begin? We go back to verse 15, and Paul's first words here are, look carefully then how you walk. Some of your translations say how you live, same thing. Look carefully. Now, Kayla and I, about, Kayla's my wife, uh, a year ago now, um, I transitioned into a new job, took a massive pay cut, went from logistics to sales, and, uh, and I also started seminary, which is a massive expenditure. And so uh, less money coming in, more money going out. And uh, we're talking a lot, a lot of money here. And, uh, and our lifestyle didn't change. Six months went by. We didn't think anything of it. And then I, I had to pay for school the second semester. And I'm looking at our bank account. And uh, I said, wow, I should really do a budget. What's going on here? <laughs> I mean, it was bad, like, like a thousand bucks or more a month going out, you know, and uh, 
it was a, it was a shock to me. We kind of had, we had a little mini crisis for like three or four weeks until, you know, we got a Dave Ramsey book. We started figuring the whole deal out. Um, I have an app on my phone now called Every Dollar where I, uh, every time I buy anything, I put it in there and I, I we stick to our budget uh, as best we can. But, but it's really important. It, it, I had to have a crisis. I had to have a moment in time where I said like, whoa, something is out of line here. We need to fix this. We need to figure out what's important to us, what's important to spend our money on, right? So we all get this. It's the same goes with our time. How many of us are just blowing our time without even thinking about it? When's the last time that we stopped and carefully looked at our time expenditures and said, here's where I'm putting that, here's where I'm, put, here's where I'm putting that, and that's worth it. That, no, we need to cut that out. See, this is vitally important. Every single one of us has 24 hours in a day. Every one of us, our days are numbered. We have no, many, no idea how many days we have left. We got to do this. We got to look carefully at our time. See, when people uh, get asked how they're doing, the most frequent response is what? When I, when I say, how are you doing today? Busy. I hear it all the time. I, I, and I, I'm guilty of it too. My mom calls me, how you been, Jake? Oh, busy, but, and that'd be no different than saying, like, how you doing? Oh, well, poor. I'm blowing a lot of money. I, it's weird. I don't know why, but culturally speaking, we, we say, oh, busy. It's just, it's, it's, it owns our lives. Our time is just go, 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 go. And it's so, uh, why do we so infrequently stop and address the issue of how we are spending our time? Just like we would our money. It's wise or unwise. And so stop, think, reflect, examine your life, analyze your recent history, and ask yourself, am I spending my time on the things that really matter? We see uh, in Mark chapter 6, verse 30, um, this is actually a scripture that Jason spends a little more time in on his message this morning, but it says this, that the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour. Okay, the apostles, he had sent them out. They were doing all kinds of work, good work. And uh, he, they told him all they had done and taught. And Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. Now, when we read this story, and we read that uh, the apostles didn't even have time to eat. They were working so hard, evangelizing and healing and preaching and teaching and so on. There's something inside us that applauds, you know. They didn't even have time to eat. Are you kidding? That's awesome. They were killing it. In the same way, there's something uh, that in, in us that applauds when someone says they're busy, or at least there's something that inside me that wants others to applaud for me when I say that I'm busy, you know. But we do, as if that's a good thing. But Jesus realizes uh, there's something wrong here. Jesus realizes that's not okay. You don't even have time to eat? Let's, let's stop for a moment. Let's take care of ourselves. And he says this, he says, let's go to a quiet place where we can be alone and rest for a while. So, Oftentimes, you've probably heard sermons or read devotions or whatever about rest. And in the Christian uh, hemisphere, if you will, uh, rest is often talked about as just like recreation. And that's great. We need recreation. We need those leisurely activities. We need to enjoy life in that way. But 
This is not the type of rest that Jesus is calling the disciples to in this passage. A quiet place where we can be alone and rest for a while. You see, uh, watching Netflix, it's not a quiet place. Uh, going golfing uh, could be, but it's probably also not a quiet place. Uh, I could go down the list. Going shopping, it's not a quiet place, uh, especially the day after Thanksgiving. Whatever. Those... Those may be leisurely or recreational activities to you, but those are not uh, the type of activities where you are able, you're not capable of, of reflecting and analyzing your life and listening, most importantly, most importantly, listening to the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus is getting at here. Now, I would uh, guess that the reason that so many of us are so reluctant uh, to make time and space for that quietness, for that solitude, is because we're afraid. And I say this because I've been there all the time. But we're afraid. We're afraid to address the issues. Just like I was afraid to address my budget, we don't want to change. We're afraid. For many of us, I think that there's, this, there's been so much time that's gone uh, since the last time we really just sat in the presence of God and let him heal us and, and decided to change in our life, we've had this kind of impending sense of, of doom or this lurking, inescapable sense of guilt that just grows and grows and grows because we know that something in our life is wrong. And at times we're really good at avoiding it and not paying attention to it. And it's great, you know, like for three years in college, I mean, I didn't pay attention to any of that. And it was fun and I partied and got drunk and high and whatever. And and then it hits you like a freight train at those times when it's like, this is not okay. This is not all right. And some people are better than others at, at going years and years and years at, at just pretending as if that doesn't even exist, as if it doesn't even phase them. Living in ignorance, you know, ignorance is bliss. And, and that's absolutely no way to live. Now, I want to make a, a note here that religious people uh, holy people are, are just as prone to this, if not more, than, than others. I've even gotten to the point before where, like, in my devotions in the morning, reading scripture is a means of avoiding, like, time with God, real quiet time with God. Does that make sense? Where, like, scripture was a type of buffer, but it, it was something to do. It was something to check off the list because sitting quietly and listening, waiting for the Holy Spirit was so hard that I just, you know... I just would read scripture, and that's no different. Same thing as serving the poor. Same thing as preparing a message for preaching. Same thing as A, B, C, D, any type of religious activity can just as easily be a means of staying busy. We must get quiet, and we've got to do this regularly. I can't tell you how many times I've been preparing a sermon, and uh, in the middle of preparing it, I said, why am I doing this again? I mean, like, it's, it's an arduous process. It's long. It's hard. I, hours and hours and hours. And uh, in the middle of it, it's just, why, why do I preach? Like, this process sucks sometimes. Why, why do I do this? And so I have to remind myself, hey, what is the purpose of this? What's the reason for this, all right? And, you, and the only way to do that is to reflect. It's to sit. It's to listen. It's to remember the gospel, right? Same thing, like, Kayla and I both with my uh, my a recent calling, if you will, to vocational ministry, pastoral ministry. Um, 
preaching uh, seminary, whatever. Uh, so I've got a lot of things on my plate. And so our family, not just me, our family has to sacrifice. And we ask ourselves every couple months, it seems like, why are we doing this again? Why? Because this is really, really hard. But we have to remind ourselves why. We've got to take the time to reflect. And then most importantly for any Christian, most importantly, anyone who's been doing this for a while knows that this is a costly life. Anyone who's truly followed Jesus knows uh, that it's painful, that it hurts, um, that it's, it's costly. You really have to die to yourself. You have to give things up. You have to take some criticism. And it's hard. <laughs> and it's in those times above any other times that it is so important to stop and say, why am I doing this? Don't just be a Christian because at one point you set out to be a Christian, you know? Because at one point you were moved. Uh, Remember, every day, remind yourself why you believe what you believe. If you don't do this, guys and gals, if you don't do this, you will drift you will drift away. It'll happen, I promise you. And you may drift for days or weeks or years, and before you know it, you will lose precious time in your life. It's going through the motions of faith, or no faith, or or life, or whatever. Do not be afraid to ask yourself the big why. Why do I believe what I believe? God will give you that answer if you give him the space to say it. Now, I have a few suggestions for ways that you can do this. Um, The first is begin uh, daily devotionals if you don't do them already. And if your devotionals are just reading scripture and and kind of talking to God, uh, create space for sitting and listening to the Holy Spirit. It's what we call Christian meditation or contemplation. Create five to 10 minutes a day. Set your alarm. I do this 20 minutes every morning where I sit and I don't talk at all to God. I just sit and I listen. And that's vitally important to my spiritual health. It's vitally important to my happiness in life. Create time to do that and it will absolutely benefit you, I promise. Secondly, uh, we have small groups that will be starting in January here at Schweitzer. And uh, one of these small groups is called... uh, is going through a book called Crafting a Rule of Life. Now, that book is where we got this whole idea of a series. Um, and, and a rule of life is kind of this, it's a rule that you live by. You decide what's important to you. You help others uh, work through it with you. And you make goals and you make provisions and whatever. But you hold yourself accountable to this, uh, to this rule that you make for the rest of your life. And it's extreme... Uh, all the, the monks used to do this, and, and they still do it in monasteries, and uh, it's a really, really great spiritual practice. And that's a 10 or 12-week series. Get in one of those small groups. And that's, a, that's kind of a going deeper thing. I mean, that takes some commitment, uh, some real deep reflection. What, who am I called to be? What am I called to do in life? But that's the type of thing that will keep you on track as a Christian. That's the type of thing that uh, 50 years from now, you'll look back and you'll say, that was worth it. That was absolutely worth it. And then lastly, uh, once or twice a year, at least, Schweitzer has prayer retreats. Go on a prayer retreat. I, 
I experienced my first like coordination of a prayer retreat this last year. I coordinated the whole event, and I can't uh, tell you how many people dropped out. It was crazy. It's like pulling teeth to get people who say they're going to go to a prayer retreat to actually go. And some of it was just natural. Some of it was business, whatever. But um, there's some real enemy attacks going on there. Like a day or two before the prayer retreat, like 10 people dropped out. But the ones who showed up, who got away and spent that time by themselves with God and in community and whatever, they loved it. For many people, that was their first time doing that uh, ever. And they had some really profound experiences. And so next time a prayer retreat is made available to you, take it. Absolutely take it. So uh, growing up, our parents told us this story about um, my brother. When he was like two years old-ish, he, he was an early riser, loved waking up. Uh, like four or five in the morning, something like that. And, um, and he, would, he would wake up, and he'd wake up the whole house. And they wanted to sleep in until six. And so they'd put this uh, digital alarm clock in his room. Uh, if you would throw it. Yeah, one of those old-fashioned digital alarm clocks, right? And what they did is they taped, they put tape over the last two numbers. My brother was only two years old. And they taught him what a six looked like. And they said, you're not allowed to get out of bed until that turns to six, Right, And so it worked. And so almost every morning, he'd wait for it to turn six. And the moment it was six, uh, <laughs> he would yell, Mommy, Daddy, time to get up now, time to get up now. And so they'd get out of bed. He'd yell across the house, and they'd get out of bed, and he'd be all excited. Well, one morning, like 8, 9 o'clock, rolls by, and he's still in bed. And they went in to check on him, see if he was still breathing. Well, he was. He was laying awake in bed, staring at the alarm clock, waiting for it to turn six. Because he didn't, he didn't wake up until like 7. <laughs> And he didn't know any other, other, other numbers except for six. <laughs> that was classic. And, and what an obedient kid, right? <laughs> but I love that illustration because uh, how many of us, if we started paying attention, would realize that the clock has already turned six, that it's time for us to get up, it's time for us to wake up. How many of us would realize that? The reality is that for every single one of us, it's been six o'clock. It's probably already seven. It's probably already eight. And it's time to get out of bed. It's time to diligently look at your life and to spend your time wisely. If this is you, uh, you need to know this morning that just like my brother, uh, it's never too late. It may be 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, you may be 80 years old and have spent your whole life away from God, wasting your time. It is never too late to wake up, ever, and to get out of bed and receive the day joyfully and to turn your life around. God can redeem anything. I think one of the most important scriptures ever is Romans 8 something. And he says, uh, <laughs> he says that we know that all things work out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We know that all things work out for good for those who love him and are, and are called according to his purpose. All things. That means that once your life is redeemed in Christ, that all your crap from the past is now going to be used for good. And not just for the good of the world, but for your good. 
God can redeem all of that. And that means for all of us that, that wrestle uh, and, and fight to be holy and, and good Christians and grow and mature in our faith, that means when we fail, it's okay that God is using that. God will redeem that time. He will. But it's time this morning that we stop and that we listen, that we reevaluate and recommit our time to God. It's the only way our lives will ever be fulfilled. Bow your heads to pray with me. Uh, Heavenly Father, you deserve everything that we have. You are holy. Um, You are worthy. Our time uh, has been wasted in so many ways. God, I pray that you forgive us. Pray that you give us uh, strength to move forward, um, to let go, and to give it all to you. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for um, the time that you spent on this earth. It's amazing how in just three years of ministry, you became the most influential person that ever lived. What could we do if you uh, totally redeemed our time, if we gave it all to you? Show us the fruit of your redemption, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.